Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Last First Date Radio, featuring interviews with experts in dating, relating, and mating in midlife. And now, here's your host, Sandy Weiner. Hello, everybody. I'm so glad you've joined us here at Last First Date Radio today. I am Sandy Weiner, and I am the founder and the chief love officer at Last First Date. I want to thank you for being here. And Last First Date Radio is a show about achieving healthy, off-the-charts love in the second half of life. And we have a fabulous show coming up for you today. I'm going to be speaking with Patty Chang Anchor about how to overcome your fears in dating and relationships. And this is such a hot topic. I'm really excited to have Patty on. She's an author. She's a blogger. She wrote a book called Some Nerve, and I'm going to introduce her in just a minute. As a dating coach, I specialize in helping women date as the high-value women that they are in every other part of their lives. And I believe that when a woman really knows her true worth, she attracts her most aligned partner And part of the dating process is also overcoming fears, which we're going to talk about today. We get in our own way, and sometimes we don't even realize it. I would say often we don't realize the things that we say and do that can really sabotage our dating success. And with just a little bit of tweaking, you can really have so much more success. And this is for men and women, even though I I generally work with women, I also work with men, um, men who are brave enough to come to a dating coach. So I wanted to let you know that if you have not signed up yet, I have a free gift. It's a guide for uncovering the top three mistakes that midlife daters make and how you can turn them around with actionable tips to find love and have love in your life and have success in your dating and relationships. So if you would like a copy of the top three dating mistakes, just go to lastfirstdate.com and sign up on my homepage. Um, And I also want to invite you, all the women out there who are over 40, to my new Facebook group, Your Last First Date. So all you need to do is go to facebook.com and go to Your Last First Date, and it's a it's a private group where I offer support and healthy dating advice rather than some of the advice you may be getting from friends and family that may not be so healthy and helpful. And it's free to join. I just have to approve you. So head on over to Your Last First Date because I want you to go on Your Last First Date. I also wanted to just give a shout out to our sponsor, Audible.com. If you uh, sign up for Audible through our URL, Audible.com forward slash last first date, you will get a free book. Your first book is free, and you have over 150,000. I think there are over 200,000 books to choose from, and I have a feeling that Patty Chang Anchor's book, Some Nerve, might be available on. Audible too. So you get your free book and a free month of Audible if you sign up at audible.com forward slash last first date. Now it's time to meet Patty. 
Patty is the author of Some Nerve, Lessons Learned While Becoming Brave, which Oprah.com calls downright inspiring. It was a better it was a Books for a Better Life Award finalist. She also blogs for Psychology Today's Anxiety section and her own award winning Facing Forty Upside Down blog. Her writing has appeared in numerous publications and websites, including Doctor Oz the Good Life magazine, O magazine, Good Housekeeping, The Wall Street Journal, and National Public Radio. She's a sought after speaker on the subject of facing fears. And I have to say that I have heard her speak, and she's a fantastic speaker, filled with humor and wisdom. And she recently overcame her own fears of sweating by becoming a triathlete. She lives with her husband and two daughters in Westchester County, New York. Welcome to the show, Patty. Thank you so much, Sandy. It's it's really great to have you here. So let's dive into fear in dating and relationships, and this is probably a bigger topic than we can cover in a half hour. <laughs> I'm sure. But <laughs> we're going to conquer it, and we're going to save the world in a half hour. So here we go. Um, so my clients, my readers, my listeners wrestle with many fears when it comes to dating and relationships. So I want to start with the number one fear, which is fear of rejection. And um, then I'm going to mentioned two others, but I want to know if you can give us some ideas as to how people can overcome fear of rejection. Well, fear of rejection, especially in midlife, like by the time we've lived a few decades, um, we know how real it is. We've probably had situations um, in career, in friendships, um, and in relationships where we've had to deal with real rejection, and we know that it hurts. And so because we want to protect ourselves from future harm, it's very uh, instinctive for uh, our protective um, shields to come up. And uh, so it's it's funny, as someone who uh, coaches people through fear, um, we do a lot of discerning between real fear and uh, projected fear or imaginary ones. And rejection just always feels real. It always feels like a real possibility. Um, So a, a, a lot of working with that is just understanding why you have this fear and accepting that it's there and that it's it's there to protect you, but it does not have to run your life. It does not have to be the thing that decides um, who you date and for how long and how long you stick it out, right? Um, you can use uh, other parts of, of your personality more proactive and um, ones that can actually project a, a stronger future and, you know, use all of your, your relationship building skills that, that you've learned um, for the better to be able to forge forward rather than hold yourself back all the time. Mm. So acknowledge that it's real and we have experienced it in the past, but don't let it rule. Don't re- let it rule your life, which is great advice. And I think that um, it is important to discern between a real and a perceived fear. And, and most of our fears are not real, right? They're not, they're, they're just projections of what something might feel like, but often when we actually experience something, it's not as scary and it's not even really something we need to be afraid of. 
You're absolutely right. I mean, I'd once heard a, a, a really great therapist um, named Wendy Tomkill. She does emotionally focused therapy. Uh, uh-huh. Talk about it like our fear is like a younger version of ourselves, you know, who hasn't felt rejected in the schoolyard, right? And those like very early first experiences land somewhere very deep inside us. And it gets touched, you know, every time we're at risk of feeling that way again, it gets touched. I know every time I enter a room full of people I don't know, I have this fear that I, that no one is going to like me. Um, mm-hmm. And this, this young self says, you know, no one loves me. And then your grown-up self, which has like pushed herself through every job interview and has managed all these conflicts in her life and has you know dealt with difficult um, relatives and has surmounted so many things, right? This grown-up self can get very impatient and say, like, shut up, you're ruining everything, right? You're <laughs> keeping me from the life I want. Just stop it. And then the young self then says, you see, I was right, right? Like you don't even love me, <laughs> so how am I going to be lovable? And when I, I saw this therapist work this out step by step, I realized how often in my own life I go through that loop of you know feeling vulnerable and then berating myself for feeling vulnerable. And that doesn't make the vulnerability go away. It, it, it makes you sink even more deeply into it. Um, so if we're able to look at that younger self and say, oh my gosh, of course you feel that way, but it's okay because we're not six years old in the schoolyard anymore. You know, we have grown up and we have coping skills. And even if the worst thing happens, we know that we're strong and we know that we can handle it. And we'd much rather be out there learning and growing and meeting people and having meaningful experiences than hiding right, than holding ourselves uh-huh. back. We would much rather be out there inter- interacting with the world. And so then it's like you hold that little girl's hand and you say, all right, let's go together and let's see what happens. Mm, I like that. Yeah, a lot, of the, um, a lot of the work I did in the beginning of my coaching was really coaching all the different parts of ourselves. And mm. that, that little girl is or a little boy is such a big part of ourselves that we often don't give any compassion to. And um, I had a client once who, when she was about seven years old, she was the oldest child and she had a nanny. And the nanny died while she was in the house with her. And she was home alone with two younger siblings and didn't know what to do. Can you imagine? Mm. I can't even... So she did something so brave. She went across the street or next door. She came to a neighbor. She tried to call the police. She couldn't figure it out. She had no idea what was going on. I mean, you know, you don't even know that the person really died, but she's not responding. And anyway, she ended up fi- finally getting through to the police and having them come. And and then her parents came home, and they were angry at her because she left the house. And so that was the message she took away her oh. whole life. I did something wrong. I was bad. And so I was coaching her, and it was just like, oh, my God, you were so brave. And she never saw it. She, until that moment, she never realized how brave she really was. And so often we have these experiences, and we misinterpret them. And so I think, you know, people say you slayed dragons bigger than this. You know, and I think, you know, you talk about that in the book that we can draw from our brave times in our lives and we have done things that have been uh that have that have really contributed to our experiences and 
I was just listening to something this morning where they, where they were talking about building evidence that every time we do something and we overcome a fear, we're building evidence that we can do it again. Absolutely. I think to remember. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I think that while we can't always control what happens to us, um, we can control our, the takeaway. We, we can mm-hmm. choose what positive lesson that can actually help us in the future, you know, to take from it. Um, I I know a woman who had her first marriage fall apart um, after, you know, two kids, many years together, and it fell apart in a a very public and embarrassing way. And um, there are many people, I think, who would have, the takeaway would have been either that all men are untrustworthy um, Mm -hmm. or it it, might have been, I don't deserve a trustworthy man. Right, like I, I've I've heard those two stories many times about different relationships, um, but this woman, after a lot of soul searching and healing, um, came to the conclusion, and this was a big deal for her, uh, that she actually deserved better, and that she was missing from her this relationship love and affection and things that she deserved, you know, things that she longed mm-hmm. for, and that she didn't have, and so she wasn't going to give up on looking for what she deserved. And in her next marriage, um, she found the healthy um, relationship and the the, the positive um, uh, uh, feelings and the trust and all of that that she didn't have in the first relationship. So I, I, whenever I, I looked at her, I, I would think, gosh, I'm so happy that the takeaway that, that um, she had was a positive one for herself. Yeah, that's amazing because so many people take the wrong messages. And I think that's that's one of the biggest issues in dating in general is that we learn the wrong lessons, that we take away these messages and you can feel it. You know, I, I my daughter's dating somebody, she's 21, and and her boyfriend's underlying message has always been everyone cheats on me. <sighs> so, you know, and so... They have a great relationship, and she has never cheated on anybody, and she would never cheat on him. But every once in a while, he'll get jealous of some man's attention, and he'll get really pissy, and she'll go, I, I'm i not the one who cheated on you. Like, stop it, you know, because that's really unattractive. And so it, it's interesting. I mean, even at that young age, he's already got a, a, a story playing in his head, and you know, good you know, for your daughter for calling yeah. out on it, like identifying yeah. it and saying this is what this is about and separate that from the here and now and the real yep. person that you're dealing with right now. Because I think also in midlife, um, we can get even more stuck in the idea we have of ourselves and where we say, like, this is just the way I am. And, you know, I I like um, – uh, athletic men, I don't, or I don't like nerdy men, or I like, you know, uh, going out on the weekends. I don't like staying in. Like we, we have all of these preferences that we then end up saying, oh, this is just who I am. When in actuality, they're preferences, um, and they're stories that we tell, and they're stories that we reinforce, and that actually we can be a lot more flexible than we think. And if like an ugly fear rears its head, like a, a fear of betrayal or fear of abandonment or you know these things are are real fears we can acknowledge them and say okay this is where that's coming from but in the here and now i don't actually have to let that cast a shadow over this like i can actually Mm -hmm. enjoy myself here 
Yeah, I think people do get stuck in that and in that type thing also, in that this is my type and this is who I am and this is I'm never going to change and just accept me for who I am. And all these statements are so limiting. I mean, I, I've had clients who say, this is my DNA, this is just who I am. And I go, no, this is how you've been conditioned. It doesn't mean <laughs> yeah. you can't change. Um, okay, so let's let's talk about something a little bit different because we could talk about fears and, you know, that's there's so many other fears to talk about. But I, I want to talk about something you talked about in the book, which is clutter. And I think that clutter and dating are very closely related. Mm. Um, so how do you think people's emotional relationship to their belongings and their surroundings um, either help or hinder their ability to find a, a loving relationship? Oh, such an interesting question. This is such a rich area as well because I had a terrible problem with clutter. Um, and I always thought that it was just that because I was disorganized. Like I didn't think that it had any emotional component to it. Um, but when I finally worked with a, a professional organizer who was tuned in to the emotional reasons that people hang on to things, I realized it was all about emotions. Um, I had so many fears around um losing what was valuable from the past. And I think that came from being the child of immigrants who um, had to lose everything over and over again, like through war and, and immigration. Um, so I felt this need to like hang on to pieces of family history. I also had a fear of the future, um, just this feeling that like, what if I never achieved again what I have in the past? So I had all these mementos from my career, um, from long ago careers. Like, you know, I, I had fax numbers of people who I'm sure no longer have fax machines. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then I also had this um, this fear, I, I think, of not doing everything that I with the good intentions of my heart, intended to do. So uh, it uh, it was like this museum of of uh, good intentions, you know, of things I was going to fix and things that I was going to repurpose and sweaters that I would eventually finish knitting and, and things like that. <laughs> um, to the point where there was no space for living because I had so many things that were like monuments to the past and like things that I was building up in case I never did anything of worth or of note again in the future. Um, I'll also say, though, that people who have the opposite issue where they can't stand clutter and that everything has to be in its place and that things need to be perfectly clear, um, often there's an emotional component there, too, um, of feeling like a need for control and a, a need of knowing where everything is and not having anything lurking. In, in the corners. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, this terrain is very full of, you know, it's all about our attachments and uh, our desire to be in control. And uh, for me, being overwhelmed my, by my stuff very much kept me from relating to people because I was just coping with, you know, uh, stepping over huge piles of things. And my poor husband, like coming in the door after work every day, he felt like he just had to step through a minefield of things in order to get into the house. So it affected um, the way we live together. And my ability to face that emotional fear of letting go um, of the past and trusting that I could create more in my future and that in empty space that um, if I can contain that fear, that's the space of creativity. That's where you can actually have new things happen in your life. Um, and then there's more space to, like, hang out with your kids and play with them and to um, to see your husband and to have him actually see you back. 
Yeah. <laughs> a lot of good things can happen when you let go of those attachments. <laughs> yeah, I, totally. And you know, I, I you just reminded me of someone I dated in the beginning of my dating after my divorce. He was a neat freak to the point where his musical collection was alphabetically organized. Mm. <laughs> just like it made me crazy. Um, and yet, when it came to organizing his time, he was not so good um, in terms of efficiency, and that made me crazy. Um, so he was operating from an old, old, old computer that took hours to boot up every day, and I had a Mac, which, which was like immediate, no viruses, you know, turn it on, it works. I, in fact, I never turned it off pretty much. Um, and he would spend hours waiting for his computer to go on. And I, I was just like, you work in technology. Why are you doing this? It's making me nuts. <laughs> so it's just interesting how people's lives function um, and, and how they organize themselves around it. And, I mean, there's even people talk about feng shui and how you set up your home for love. And, um, you know, if you're living your life with all your old stuffed animals and you have only one bed table and, you know, your life has no room in it for somebody else and your closets are completely stuffed with your clothes and clothes, you know, then that's also a sign of not being ready, not being open. I mean, there's so many, so many different ways to look at this. So yeah, I mean, one thing that um, uh, Mary Carla Magno said, um, she was an organizer I worked with, was love things that love you back. Mm-hmm. And I I really love that as a mantra for, for living. Um, the, the certain objects, you know, sentimental value, like photographs um, or books that you really enjoyed and that you're going to read again, um, certain things she would say absolutely hold on to them and, like, give them a place of honor in your house so that when you see them you're uplifted. And um, if they're talking points for when people come and they can get to know you better and, you know, there are wonderful stories around them, yes, definitely keep some of that. But don't keep so much of it that like you can't even see it, right? Um, I, when I was clearing, clearing the clutter, we found all of these really old photographs that um, grandparents had uh, taken that really were special, but they were all crammed into a corner and like dusty and torn, and they were they were buried underneath garbage, basically. I mean, things that we really didn't need at all. So part of the clearing process, I think, is just discerning what really does give you life, what fuels you, um, and what's holding you back. Mm. Mhm. No, I love it. And I think you can say that about old relationships too. A lot of people have uh collect old boyfriends and old girlfriends and never let anybody go and I think that's clutter too. You know, mm-hmm. it's like to me, I'm done, I'm done. Like, you know, very rarely will I keep somebody in my life just because we've had a connection in the past. It, it, if it's not working, it feels like clutter and um, you got to clear the way for the right person to come into your life. So, so yeah, get rid of the clutter. Love things that love you back, and love people that love you back too. Because I think you can say that of your friends. Um, people have people in their lives that don't love them back, and that's no fun either. So let's talk about something I love, which is the Greek chorus of perpetual doubt. <laughs> oh, yes. Do you have one too? <laughs> Oh, yes. <laughs> Mine is not a Chinese mother, but she could be my mother. She could be. <laughs> um, I don't actually think she's my mother. I, she's definitely a judge. She's she's judging and she's um, 
she's like, yeah, you're not good enough, you can't do that, you'll probably fail. Um, so, so those gremlin and saboteur voices um, often keep us from love. You know, that I'm not worthy, um, I'm not attractive enough, especially as people get older. So how, can you just share uh, one or two ways for people to quiet those, those loud, judgmental voices? <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I, I um, identify my Greek chorus as a, a few um, people. There's my mom, um, who is just very fearful of my getting hurt. Like, she just doesn't want me to get hurt. And so I, I recognize that she's just being really, you know, overprotective but caring. And I just say, thank you, Ma. Um, but I'd rather live life you know, than be hiding all the time. So I, I quiet her down a, a little that way. Um, there's like my old phys ed teacher, you know, who used to always just make fun of me. Like I'd go up for a, a layup in basketball and he'd be like, ah, there's Bereshnikov. And that's just kind of like this big bully voice that is just completely irrelevant. <laughs> and, yeah. And, and so I said, you know what? It's like I I no longer need this class for credit. So <laughs> You can just stop now. Um, and uh, then there are these like little competitive voices of people who like might be happy to see me fail, and that's just dead weight, you know. I mean, I just feel like life is too short for um, made-up fears. It's too short for vicarious fears. It's too short for like old fears that just have no bearing on the situation. Um, I sort of imagine this little um, the Greek chorus that's in the movie Babe. Um, where there are all these tiny little mice, and they're just like, bah, 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 you know, doom is going to come tomorrow. And, like, mm-hmm. if you can imagine shrinking those negative voices down, um, then you can just kind of move on with your life. A- another image I love is um, of a-, a yapping puppy. You know, like, w- I, I, we got a puppy this last spring, and she barks at everything. And like morning till night, she's trying to save me from the black squirrel in the tree, and from the UPS delivery man, and from the crossing guard. And she's like, "Heavens, you know, the school bus is coming. Is like the end of the world." And being able to pat the dog and just say, "There, there, it's okay, it's all right. You know, I don't need you on this high." an alert right now. Um, <laughs> yeah, and the Greek chorus, the thing about it that's so exhausting is that it comes out in all areas of our lives. So it's like you're dealing with that um, if you're anxious, uh, uh, like me. Um, you're dealing with that in your job, and you're dealing with that um, in relationships with your kids and with your parents and uh, with your friends, your social circle. It's They're questioning, questioning you at all times. Plus, if you're dating, there's like this added layer of what am I saying and doing and what does he think of it and, and uh, all of that. So it would be utterly exhausting if you just let this chorus run rampant. Right. So Mm -hmm. uh, take it as a priority, like for your own mental sanity, that you are not supposed to be hearing this chorus all the time. Like just allow them to just quiet and take a break. (laughs) Like everyone take a coffee break. (laughs) (laughs) And then also uh, think about having a a cheering squad instead. Like this has happened Mm. to me in um, training for triathlons, which is something I never thought I could do. And I always thought everyone would be laughing at me. Um, 
is that even like the people way in the back of the pack, like me, bringing up the rear of any race, uh, the volunteers that are still there cheering <laughs> by the time I come through, they cheer the hardest. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like everyone deserves people cheering for them and just saying that you're doing an awesome job and that you're absolutely doing your best. And thank goodness you're out here doing this, right? It's mm-hmm. a lot better than, than sitting at home on your couch. So in place of, of the Greek chorus, I now have this chorus of people saying, you got this, you can do this, you're doing your best, you're awesome. Um, look at how far you've come and look at how much more you're doing than you ever thought. Um, those positive voices are just much better to carry around with you. Mm, I love it. I I uh, once had a celebration team um, of three or four people, we would meet every Friday by phone and talk about what we were celebrating. Mm. And because we're so focused on, I didn't do enough, I haven't done enough, I haven't achieved my goals, and just to focus on what did you do well this week, what are you celebrating? And I actually do that with my clients. Every time they meet with me, 24 hours in advance, they have to fill out a form, and one of the parts is, what are you celebrating this week? What have you done well? What are you proud of? Because we don't give that to ourselves enough. It's like, you know, we, we need to hear it from others, but we really need to hear it from ourselves. So the, the cheerleading team is great. Ah, Okay, so, oh, my God, I have like 85 more questions for you. but <laughs> I wish um, I could answer them all. <laughs> I know. Um, so let's talk about vulnerability and sharing your fears. Um, how can that help um, to... to um, to really make a relationship better with a potential partner? Oh, you know, I feel like it takes so much energy to hide our fears and our vulnerabilities. You know, for so long I had this facade. I felt like I was trying to carry this image of being the perfect Chinese-American daughter, you know, a great student, the one you could count on at work, um, the, the the person who would just do 110% of everything and get an A++. Like, and that is just so exhausting. Um, uh-huh. I, I think that when you're able to uh, show even one little um, vulnerability and an openness to working on it, an openness to a- allowing for change in that area, um, it l- allows the other person to also feel that they don't have to be perfect. Um, and so I'm not saying that you have to show that you're in, that you are a complete basket case. <laughs> you, know, like, <laughs> you don't have to share your entire Greek chorus all the time. That would be exhausting for the other person, just as it is for you. Um, but even, even just one thing, um, uh, like public speaking, for example, there are a lot of people, that's a very common one. There's no um, uh, stigma attached to having it because so many people do. Um, it is a very easy one to work on because, you know, in a couple of minutes you could propose a toast. You just need to be brave enough to volunteer. And it's something where you can get really great feedback right away and people can say, thank you so much for doing that and we're always going to remember it. And, you know, um Things like that where you could reinforce each other and support each other is a, a, a very um, bonding thing. For me, for a, a long time, it, I called it a, a small vulnerability, but in reality it was quite a big one, um, was my fear of uh, falling or crashing um, or being out of control. So meaning I didn't know how to ride a bike well um, and I didn't like skiing and I didn't like anything that sort of put me um, in this fast-moving position. 
I had a really bad run-in with a garbage can while rollerblading. Um, <laughs> so in those like early years of, of dating and marriage with my husband where like, you're trying to impress each other and um, I was trying to do everything that he knows how to do very naturally and very well, um, I felt like a failure a lot of the time. Like you know, our first ski outing together, he, he ended up having to carry my skis and I walked down the mountain in humiliation. Um, and uh, biking, I like wiped out on this little one-speed bike on vacation once and ended up in a ditch. And so the <laughs> takeaway I had from that is that I'm not good at that and that that's his thing. And what that ended up doing was it put this rift in our relationship um, for over a decade where like he was never able to enjoy the things that he really loves with me and our kids because I was saying I'm no good at that. So it was really um, when I turned 40 that I realized that I, I was the obstacle. Like for a long time I was blaming him for being so good at this thing that I can't, can't possibly catch up, right? And then I realized that, you know what, it's this old story that I can never learn how to do this. People learn how to do things all the time. And so why can't I just really put my heart into practicing? And in 10 weeks – I went from not being able to bike around the block to biking 42 miles across New York City in the Five Borough Bike Tour. Mm. Um, and since then, biking has been a huge part of our relationship. It's like it's the best date possible. You know, for a married couple, it's like we just hop on our bikes and um, we'll bike to a, a bakery, get a coffee and uh, a pastry and just like be with each other. For a few minutes, it's so beautiful, and then we hop back on our bikes, and we're enjoying the scenery and the terrain, and um, it's so relaxing and wonderful. And best of all, he looks at me now as someone who was different than the girl he dated and the young woman he married. Um, he's like, wow, you're new. You've, uh, like, you've revealed something different about yourself, and that's exciting. And like, what are we going to do next? Like, What's the next thing we're going to do together that's fun? Mm. And that's the key to a long marriage, to a long happy marriage, not just a long marriage because there's a lot of those that are not so happy, but really keeping it exciting, keeping it new, and, and taking risks like you did. Wow. I mean, I, I was so impressed by every single risk that you took because I know how scary it is. I, I also did the Five Borough Bike Tour several times, and it's so fantastic. And I did it at a time when I when biking for me was no big deal. Um, that was not a fear of mine. I was biking everywhere. I was biking to work. I was biking. I lived in the city. In fact, I, I didn't even warm up for it. I could not do it today. If you paid me, I would t it would take me a long time to, to get to that point. But I had a tremendous fear of public speaking, and mm. I think I've shared a little bit of that with you, and um, and had a, this TEDx talk um put into my lap before I was able to get up on a stage. And I could have said no um, to the opportunity or I could have risen to the, to the occasion and gotten myself support. So that's when I joined Toastmasters and hired a speech coach and um, woke up in cold sweats many days thinking this is the stupidest thing in the world. I'm going to be an, a huge failure and fall flat on my face because I was so, so scared of public speaking. 
But doing that was such a great experience for me because I learned that I could. I learned that I could set a huge goal and um, that was so beyond anything that I had ever accomplished and and feel that feeling of success when it was done. And, um, you know, so I, I, I can so relate to how much overcoming fears adds to your to your success as a human being um you know and it and it paves the way for something else and for trying all kinds of things in your life it opens up a world of opportunities which makes you absolutely an yeah yeah and and the, so in your relationship or just for yourself you know the idea of facing fears and trying new things and growing um and keeping life interesting for yourself, like that is the most important reason to do it anyway. And then the ripple effects will go to every relationship that you have because it's like when you're changing and growing, the people around you are certainly going to notice. And um, what I love about your TED Talk uh, is that great story of how you almost didn't do it, right, because – uh, when you're afraid of something, there's always this little option, this little voice, like you know, saying, "Go to the exit." <laughs> Just, uh-huh. you know, don't go through that. <laughs> don't go that way. Um, you chose to step up and do it um, through your fear, and uh, now that content, you've put this content out in the world that before it wasn't there, and now it is. And there's this great uh-huh. speech about how people can be vulnerable and strong in their relationships that wasn't there before, and you did that. And I feel like uh, the deepest fear that people have, I think, is that we won't make a difference you know that it's like we'll have lived this life and it won't be as meaningful as we had hoped and that we won't have had the impact that we wanted to have and what keeps us from those things is our fear is our our lack of doing and so every time you step up and you do it you put something out into the universe as this creative force that will touch other people and will change other people's lives that's not something you're ever going to regret Mm, so true. And I think that's true of every single aspect in life. And thank you for that acknowledgement. That really is meaningful to me. Um, I want to share one quote that you have up on your website, and it is, it is not because things are difficult that we do not dare. It is because we do not dare that they are difficult. And that's by, I'm going to probably pronounce this incorrectly, Lucius Aeneas Seneca. Is that how you I believe that? that's correct, yes. I love okay. that quote. It is such a great quote, and I think that um, what happens at this stage in life is so many people say, I'm too scared to date, or I'm done with dating because it hasn't worked in the past, and so I'd rather be single. And what what really breaks my heart is that they have now shut themselves off from experiencing one of the most amazing feelings that you can ever experience, and that is to find a true loving relationship. And, you know, and it's it's just about if you shut it off, you will never experience it. And, yes, there's pain. Yes, there's heartache. Yes, there's a whole bunch of feelings that can happen when you put yourself out there and you're vulnerable. But there's also the possibility of love, and that is so worth risking, in my opinion. So... Thank you so much for coming on the show today, Patty. Again, I could <laughs> talk to you for a really long time, and maybe I'll have you back. Um, and tell, tell everybody how they can find you and how they can buy your book. 
Oh, thank you. I loved being here. And if anyone has follow-up questions, um, please feel free to contact me um, through my website. It's just my full name. So that's P-A-T-T-Y. C-H-A-N-G-A-N-K-E-R, Patty Changanker, uh, com, And my book is called Some Nerve, Lessons Learned While Becoming Brave. And it's available um, in paperback, hardcover, um, ebook, and audio, uh, wherever books are sold. Great. Well, thank you so, so much. And have a very happy holidays. And uh, thanks, everybody, for listening today. And happy holidays to all of you. And I hope that everybody goes on their last first date very soon. Have a great day.